We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. On this episode of the podcast, I talk with Angie Desai, the co-founder of DayZen, a planet-friendly fashion brand that's championing the idea that fashion can be sustainable. Angie has been at a wide variety of startups, all of which have nothing to do with fashion. That wide variety of experiences has made the challenge of learning fashion a lot easier. I first met Angie at Founders Network, which is a peer mentoring network that I have been a part of since 2017. It's a great group of founders that help each other through the good and the challenging times. Angie and I talk about a wide variety of topics, including what she does daily to be successful, as well as the Indian art of mind-body connection. What I love about this conversation is how Angie embraced being uncomfortable about her lack of knowledge in fashion and how she and her co-founder work together to complement each other's strengths. Now, let's get better together. Angie Desai, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Jari, for having me. Yeah, could you um, give us just a little background about uh, you know what you're doing now, kind of where you come from and... I always like to tell people to do that because I usually screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, no problem. Um, I am actually on my fourth startup right now, and it's called Dezan. Um, This is the first time I've worked in fashion. Um, I've normally done a lot of software and online and web stuff. Um, but uh, Dezan is the first circular accessories brand that is out there and we are designing we're starting with jewelry where we are using um, sustainable materials zero waste manufacturing and we're building everything here in San Francisco so we design and manufacture everything because fashion is the second largest um, contributor to the climate change problem and to pollution and my business partner, Delek, and I decided uh, we need to, to solve this and people aren't going to give up fashion anytime soon. And so we looked at a way how to how to create sustainable um, and ethical fashion. And so that's really what I'm doing currently. It's been a, a wonderful adventure. 
And it's definitely a lot easier to explain than um, a lot of the, the products that I've worked on before, or maybe a little more exciting. Um, in the past, I've worked on Looptivity, um, which was a mobile app. Uh, I worked on Digital Bricks, which is a mini ERP for small businesses, those mainly um, customers in Asia. And I had launched a fintech company, Phenomical, way before fintech was even a category. Um, and before that, I had a, a corporate career where I worked in as a management consultant, as well as in financial services. I built out um, online lending sites for World Savings Bank, and I was a consultant at PricewaterhouseCoopers. So I've I've worked with a lot of different industries um, and run the gamut. Um, my background is in finance as well as product management, and as an entrepreneur. Um, I pretty much do everything now. <laughs> I wear every hat that's out there. Yeah, fashion sounds a lot more interesting, you know, than financial fintech services. But uh, you know, everyone's got to uh, transact, so that uh, seems like a very eclectic uh, career, similar to what I I do and what I've you know been doing. So, so how I mean, when you were like going to school or you know, did you ever think that you'd ever be part of a fashion startup? I mean, that's a pretty, it's a pretty different kind of career path, you know? No, no. In undergrad, I studied finance and international business. Um, I think my, my work as a management consultant is kind of what I dreamed of myself traveling all around the world and helping companies and, and whatnot. Um, so I didn't, yes, no, I, I never imagined myself in, in fashion, but I have to say it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and one of the first things that I did, um, when I met with Delac, because, um, uh, she wanted me to get up to speed on fashion. And so she gave me a ton of material to read. And, um, I, I was shocked at how large the fashion industry is, you know, as, as, as a part of like, you know, the global economy and having spent a, a lot of a good part of my career in tech um, and being here in, in San Francisco and, you know, near Silicon Valley, everything, everything revolves around tech. And you think that, you know, Google and Facebook, that these are big companies and tech as an industry is huge until you see how large fashion is. And no, so true. So true. <laughs> I mean, everyone has to wear clothes. I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, yeah. the way it is. And I'm actually surprised that, that, um, you know, that the, that Silicon Valley hasn't gotten into fashion sooner. Um, it's they, you know, there's a lot of direct to consumer companies that, you know, you've probably heard of that, that are out there and that, that have been invested in by the VCs in the Valley. Um, but given how big the, the industry is, I'm surprised it took that long for them to, to enter the space, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, that, I, I totally see that. I mean, you see tons and tons of direct-to-consumer, well, tons and tons, not not like millions and millions, yeah. but I mean, there's lots of brands like, you know, Dollar Shave Club, <laughs> Casper, and all that that are yes. trying to eliminate that middleman and kind of be more catered to the customer experience, yes. which I think... You know, I'm I'm not too into fashion. I mean, I think the most fashionable thing I own is probably like an untuck, <laughs> untuck it shirt, which I'm That's like pretty you know, cool. That's, I'm impressed. <laughs> you know, su super. Fit. I mean, they're they're really great great shirts because I always wear my shirts, you know, untucked anyway. But yeah, you know, but that's like the only kind of fashion thing that I I wouldn't even call it hip. Although I I recently had to get glasses, reading glasses, so I went yes. to Warbley Parker. Um, you know, which was a great experience. And there again, another direct to consumer brand. So, yes. so this, so when she says, Hey, I need, I need you to like dig deep into this fashion stuff, you know, with all your background and finance and everything, is, is there like a method that you would go through with all the companies that you've founded before? I mean, it sounds like clearly there's something in you that you've done or that you've, you know, learned over time, it, you know, maybe it's the consulting, you know, experience, but like, how do you approach that sort of thing? Cause I'm, I'm always really curious how you can pick up a new skill or be in a new industry or just kind of like dig into something. Is there like a way that you do that, that? 
Well, I think, you know, I, you know, you know, with a little bit of experience, you kind of see how all your prior life experiences tie together. And, um, there's, there's a lot of things that make me feel like life has come full circle. Um, one of them was my first job out of college was in asset-based lending in, in, in banks. And so what that is, is um, banks will lend money out to companies based on their accounts receivable and inventory. And they'll say, get, say your line of credit, it is, it's 80% of your accounts receivable and say 50% of inventory or that, not, that percentage varies depending on what the inventory is. Right, and my right. job was to go out every week to a different client, go visit the business and really make sure that accounts receivable was what, what it was, their inventory was what it was. And I did that um, until I went to business school. So I did that for about three years. And I had seen like my first experience out of school is I saw everything under the sun. Wow. I was at food diverters to computer programmers. I was on out on a boat in outside of Boston for like the fishing boats that catch the big, the big tuna. Um, <laughs> you were to, on a fishing boat? <laughs> yes, because wow. I had to verify those tuna fish is really there. I have climbed up um, railroad, like, you know, like the, the trains to see that. Yeah, the rail plastic, cars. Yeah. The rail cars that the plastic resin is, is actually in the rail cars and I have been in like nice offices to like freezing warehouses. Like I've seen the gamut. And I think that was such a great experience for me to learn about how many different businesses are out there and how many, um, and what's the profit margins? How do the financials run? Um, Cause even, especially on the inventory side, depending on what the inventory, it, we, might, we might let you let a customer borrow anywhere from 20% to, to 70%, you know, depending on like how liquid the inventory was. So that was kind of my first like early on lessons on understanding how many businesses are out there, what makes them run, what's the turnaround time, what's the bottom line, how, how many customers are they, is, is it like a ton of customers, is it short, you know, bigger customers, long cycles, that type of thing. And so I think from the very get go of my professional career, I was, I was constantly at a new client. Um, and then after business school, I joined PwC. And for a little while, I took some companies public. So once again, I was there in the startup world with lots of different startups. Um, and then I <laughs> was on the consulting side. So I spent like, a good chunk of my, you know, initial years being trained at lots of different companies. And, um, and then on a personal side, um, my father had a sari business when I was younger, he named it Angel Sari, Angel Sari business, like after, you know, my name, Angel, my real name is Angelina. And um, he was really targeted toward the Indian um, diaspora, because they would go back to India and they would need to take gifts. And my father is a, was a full, is a full, or was a full-time engineer. So he would work all day long and he had the side business of sorry of selling saris because at the time, um, Japan was making machine-made saris and India had like tariffs against them. So they would sell it to America and America, Indian Americans would take it back to Japan because it was cheaper and the durable machine-made saris were easier to kind of wear and wash. And so he had this whole side business. And so as young as three, I remember people coming to our house, buying saris, and he would, he would buy them on these big rolls and you'd measure out like the exact size of the sari and we'd have to hold the sari so he could cut it. Um, and we get a penny for like every sari that, you know, we held so that he could cut it. And so I kind of, kind of laugh that, <laughs> that, you know, Oh, and now I'm in fashion. It seems, yeah, <laughs> it seems like fashion's in your blood. I mean, I know, guess just, so. Just saying. <laughs> my, my grandfather was in the textile industry, my paternal grandfather. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah. So it, it's kind of ironic between just like, uh, family history and then my training, you know, from the first several years out of college was really about, um, just experiencing so many different businesses and makes it so much more fun and, and interesting. And then you kind of see the similarities between the different businesses and then the differences and what makes them unique. And um, I was also really lucky because Delec had been working on this for a while. 
so she had a ton of material like she handed me so like she's like she had a one note filled with resources she gave me a stack of books to read stacks of articles to read so so yeah like pretty much she's like if you're gonna do this with me you need to come up to speed yeah you need to be a fashion expert quick (laughs) yes yes you have to understand not just fashion but also how the industry works so um, and, and she, one of the greatest books she told me to read was from Dana Thomas. Um, and it's called deluxe and it's, it's, it's on the cover of the, the book is like a cover of a big Mac, but it's got like Prada written on there. And it talks about how luxury fashion has become so businessized. And you, you think you're buying this unique piece of luxury. Um, but at the end of the time, it's, it's a business at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. So what you perceive yeah. um, and what it re- really happens. So so when you read the business side, I was like, oh, yeah, I get it. This is familiar. This is my territory. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, that is yeah, super interesting that you used to cut fabric at the tender age of three. And well, no, I just three. held it. I had, oh, to held it. Sorry. I had okay. to hold it on the line. I was going to say, that's pretty cool. No, no, bold. no, no, no. So my dad. <laughs> held it. Okay. Sorry, dad. <laughs> sorry is like six yards or something. It's really long. Like, oh, I don't wow. know if you've ever seen it. So what to, you can't yeah. hold it. Like you need to, he would have us like stand and hold it and he'd hold it on the other end and just cut through it. So yeah, it's kind of funny. So, so from all that experience, are there things that you've learned to do on like a daily basis, because what I'm always interested in are people's habits and some of the traits and the values and the beliefs that they hold. And usually for me, it's like what people do every day that is kind of a real good indication of like how they live their life, how they live their world. Um, so from all this experience, are, are there just certain things you do daily that, uh, either were attributed to this or that you found just make it easier for you to be successful and like live in the world? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do. Yes. I have lots of, I have lots of habits and daily habits, you know, some are just kind of routine of making sure you take care of yourself. Like I definitely have some breathing exercises and and things I do first thing in the morning, you know, just to kind of jumpstart me and get me, um, like, I don't need a cup of coffee. Like I, I have my little routine in the morning and, and after I'm done, um, I'm pretty wide awake. I'm ready to go. So I, I have found that to be super helpful. Um, and then, um, it, it, as like other daily habits too, or I also try to take a, a yoga class once a week and, um, because that just kind of keeps me grounded. And and sometimes the day that I go changes because, because you're running a business and, and, and whatnot. I, I can't necessarily say, yeah, I'm going to go at this time every week, but I make sure that somehow in the week I'm going to go to one class at least. And that one class doesn't sound like a lot, but it, it, it's really helpful. It's just this, the type of thing that rejuvenates me. Um, I'm also a pretty healthy eater and conscientious of like what I eat. Cause I feel like that also, um, is, is super important. I, I did take a year in all, all of my career stuff to study Ayurved, which is the, um, the Indian science of taking care of yourself and eating and, and what's right for your body, given your body type and seasonality and stage of life and all of that. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really good about like what I put into my body exercise. And I feel like that helps a lot with me being alert and just being, being there, being productive, um, meeting my deadlines and as well as just, you know, keeping my spirits high, um, with regards to work, one of the things I've, um, I have really found helpful on a daily basis on a weekly daily basis is like really being realistic about what I can accomplish this week. And then, and then like, like then on a daily basis. So I kind of have like, okay, this is the thing I have to accomplish this week. Right. Cause when you're an entrepreneur, the to-do list is huge. It's just so. No, it never ends. It's I mean, never it ending. It it's never ends. overwhelming. You could be doing everything better and more. Right. Um, and so oh, yeah. I've learned, oh, totally. yeah, yeah, 
to be like, okay, let's be real, right? Like you're not going to do these 10,000 tasks, right? What can you really do this week? And what do you have to do this week? And then, so there are things that have some hard deadlines. And then there's some other things that are a little bit, you know, kind of don't have to be done immediately, but should be done sooner than later. So I'm really good about like, these are the tasks that have to be done. And these are the tasks too, that, um, that can also move a little bit, right? Um, because sometimes like when I have to sit down and write some creative marketing piece and I'm not in the writing zone, um, you can't force it, right? Like you just, you're just like, I could sit here and I could sit here for four hours and I'm not going to get anything done. And then I'll be like, okay, but I have these other tasks. Like I got these 10 emails to take care of. Um, let me just write those so then I can at least get it done. So I have these, uh, kind of deadlines, but I have room to move within them too, because there are some analytical things that you need to do. There's some creative things to need, you need to do. And sometimes you're more in the mood to do one or the other. And so I kind of balance, um, how, how I do that and what needs to be done, especially when I don't have like an absolute hard deadline. So what was the name of the practice about food and yeah, I, I, it, be, you just mentioned it and I yeah. wanted to ask you a little bit yeah, more about yeah, it because yeah. when, when we, when we had the little storytelling group the other, like last month, I think yes, you brought it up and I was like, I need to ask more about that because you're like, yeah, I'm a certified. And I'm like, huh, what? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, can you explain, I've never, see, I've never heard that before. I, I know that, uh, it exists I've had some friends that have done it, but I have no idea what it is. And it seems like an interesting kind of overall life philosophy, especially what's interesting is that at the different stages of life and your different body types and all that sort of stuff. So yes. can you explain that a little bit more? That's, yeah. that's kind of interesting. Absolutely. So Ayurveda, which is A-Y-U-R-V-E-D-A, is it's it's there's it's in the Atharveda, it's in the Vedas, which is like the sacred text of Hinduism, and it is all about how to take care of your body and your health, and it's a sister science to yoga, and so the the idea is that um, to reach enlightenment, you have to practice Ayurveda and yoga because you can't sit and meditate if your joints are aching or you have an ulcer, right? So, or you can't sit that long. So yoga is like the physical exercise piece where the body needs to be in good enough shape to, to meditate. And Ayurveda is like, is like the internal and your health and taking care of, of your, your body so that, you know, you don't have that ulcer and you can sit down. So it's very much like you can't reach um, spiritual enlightenment unless you're, you're in physically good shape. And, and so I, I ended up studying Ayurved. Um, well, there's a couple of things after I had my son, my, my first child, my son, um, I had a whole bunch of, uh, asthma and, um, just, just allergies come up and I hadn't had a problem in 12 years. And, you know, I went to my general doctor and they gave me all this medication and I felt, worse. I was like, actually, the symptoms feel better than how I feel after I take this medication. And I was like, you know what, screw it. I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to live with it. I just was like, I'll deal on, on, on it on my own. And somehow, you know, I, um, I, an article that came across my thing had this, this whole article on Ayurved. And I was like, oh my God, let me try this out. Right. And I, the, the woman who wrote the article lived in San Jose. So I was like, okay, that's not so far. So I went to visit her and she's like, oh, I can totally fix your stuff. She's like, give me five weeks. And, um, she did, she, 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 I gave her five weeks. I followed everything down to every line she wrote and I felt better five weeks later. And I realized that it was, you know, I had to make some changes in my diet lifestyle and, and whatnot. Um, and then I ended up having an Ayurvedic pregnancy for my second child and then after her, my daughter was born, I was like, it's just too hard to go to, down to San Jose. And once again, like serendipitously, I meet some other woman who I was, who was like, you know, you could just learn this for yourself. She was studying at a school in Emeryville. And she's like, why do you keep going to this Ayurvedic doctor? You, you could learn it. And then you don't have to keep, you know, hauling yourself down to San Jose. And, and so that's really, that's what I did. I took a one-year certification also because um, 
I, my kids didn't really win the genetic lottery. My, my dad, my father-in-law are both heart patients. My father-in-law is a diabetic. My mom's a cancer survivor. And I was like, you know what, what can I do from the very beginning to reduce, you know, the chances or, you know, lessen their, their, you know, their genetic, their genetic, you know, probability of having some of these diseases. And, and that's what I did. And I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about, um, depending on your body type, what foods are good for you? What's the type of lifestyle? It even goes so far as to say what careers you are going to do better with. So there's these little oh, tests that you can take. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, so there's personality. advice, career yeah. advice. Does yeah. it have love advice too? Is it like a whole... Uh, like- the love advice, the, the love advice basically says you, so they call them doshas. There's three doshas. It's kapha, vat, pitta. You can just, for short, we could say like KPV. And um, everybody has all three, but like sometimes one dominates and sometimes two dominate. It's very rare that all three are equal in a person. So when it comes to, to like your partner, you should know what your partner's doshas are so that you don't get mad at them and you understand that that's part of their personality, right? And so if you you understand them better, you're less likely to just quibble about stuff, right? You understand that's just the way they are. So like people who have a high vata dosha are often very creative, right? And they're not as structured and organized as someone who is very kapha oriented. So there's all these things in there that I think have really helped me with everything, whether it's my husband raising my kids or when you're in, out there in the entrepreneurial world and you meet different people, um, you're able to kind of assess pretty quickly, okay, this is their personality. And oh, okay, so it's, this is how you yeah. work with this type of personality. So it's kind of like what they've done in the Western sense of the five personality types or the Myers-Briggs or what is it? The yeah. I always forget. There's so many of them. So this was just the the Hindu version of of that, I would I would it assume, is. or yeah, it okay. is. But you can you can also there's a lot there's some like you can tell like it's a combination of physical traits plus their personality. Like you can you can kind of um, l- look at someone and 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 assess like or have at least a high level idea of what they're what they're like, and also have reasonable expectations, right? So someone like who's very creative, creativity isn't nine to five right? Like it's just, you know, oh, no, not at all. It, it could come to you at midnight. It could come to you at three in the morning when you wake up. So telling a creative person, well, you know what? I, I need to have that design, you know, whether it's a graphic design for your website or, or, or whatever, or your logo, I need to have that by 5 p.m. tomorrow. It's just kind of almost like a ridiculous ask. Um, yeah, well, they'll probably get it done, you know, two days, later, <laughs> you know, midnight and be later. like, yeah, like, oh yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, I find that similar to when I write, you know, you mentioned that when you have to do creative copy and you're just not in the mood. Yeah. Um, I feel the same way with some of the, like the writing I do, it, it can be a real struggle to do creativity on command. Yes. But if you know, who you are and how you how you are when you're the most creative like I'm most creative in the morning then you can manage your day and it so it sounds like this practice is really the mind the body trying to figure out like how to optimize you and then yes. how to interact with other people. Did I get that right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And there are certain foods that work better for you too, you know, and there's, there's, there's a lot of talk, like even right now you should eat seasonally. Well, mm. yeah, you should eat seasonally. Like you, hmm. like, interesting. like you look at what, like watermelon is considered a cooling fruit. You should not be eating watermelon in December. It's cold outside, right? <laughs> you should be eating warming foods, right? So right. there's and so there's so many things like it's not good for the body. It's not good for climate change, right? Because yeah. you're having to import those watermelons from some tropical area so that we here in San Francisco can eat it in December. Right, right. And so that is not a good thing on so many accounts, right? Yeah. Um, hopefully, you know. Hopefully, they say you can drink coffee all year round because that's what I live on. Coffee <laughs> ayurvedically is not good for you. <laughs> I, oh, I, know. Oh, I can't help it. I, I have few 
I have few yeah. addictions and coffee's one of yeah. them. I, you know, I don't yeah. drink anymore. I don't do any of that yeah. kind of stuff anymore. So I got to have one. I got to have a vice. We all have our vices. <laughs> I, there are plenty <laughs> of things I do that I know are not good for me. <laughs> I'm trying to cut back. I'm trying to cut back. So, <laughs> so it's, so it's, it's really interesting that this sort of practice, the, you know, with yoga, um, and also from, uh, like how to interact with the world and how other people are going to react. I, I, I really like this concept because it's sometimes hard when you're an entrepreneur. I mean, you know this, like it's all this go, go, go. Yeah. It's got to be done tomorrow. Why aren't you working, you know, 12, 13, 15 hours, you know, a day, you know, it, it can be really draining and the frustration of people not being as either productive or knowing is about what you're doing, or they have a different style. I know, you know, people are different and it, it is interesting that you use this sort of technique to understand how to get the best out of the interaction, which I think is a, something that I would hope most people want to strive for. And so out of all those sort of things, what, what are some of the ways that you can sort of sense how people are. I mean, you know, we all have our own little like kind of internal, you know, like, oh, hmm, they're a little bit aggressive, but are there just real little things, little, I don't know, rules of thumb that you could share? Oh, <laughs> oh I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. It's just, <laughs> just super fascinating, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. So there's there there's all sorts of these kind of things in the world, and I, this is my first exposure to it. So yeah. I'm super interested. I'm really lucky. So Delek, my my current co-founder, is is amazing, and we definitely were complementary to each other. And she's you know she's uh, comes from the design and jewelry background, so very creative. But she's quite she's quite analytical for a a, a, a creative person. And I'm the more I I weigh more on the analytical side, but I ha I feel like I have a very heavy creative side. And so we're very complementary to each other. And so I, even I I may not be as creative as her, but I get it. And I also know what good creative looks like. And she may not be as analytical as me, but she also knows that, hey, you know, these things need to be done, like profit margins, financials, this, all of that stuff is really important. I, she may not be the one running the spreadsheet, but she understands the importance of it. And, and so that has been great to understand um, complementary skills, I think, are so, so important. It's not an either or, or, or. It's, it's both are needed. Um, and I'm, I have to say, I'm, I'm very, also very lucky with my prior co-founder. I, I did two of my startups with him. Alec. Um, same thing. He was on the engineering side. That was probably where I was the more creative one. <laughs> he was the more analytical one. But he too, we had very complementary um, personalities. I'm probably more fiery. He's more calm. Um, and, and so I do feel like when, especially when you're looking at um, a co-founder, you 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 want someone that kind of compliments you. And then you also appreciate that skill, right? You don't feel that, um, that my skill is better than yours or, you know, that one is superior than the other. You, you realize how they work well together. And, um, and I think also when you build out the rest of the team, like everybody is like a piece of this puzzle, right? And so what, what, what are they, what piece are they fit, fitting? Like, what is it that you, you need? Um, and so I think that I've been really lucky in that sense that both Alec and Delek, like it's, they've, I, I've learned so much from both of them. Um, and I have to, I have to, you know, like a, a lot of people, you know, this and with a lot of founders where they have co-founder issues or you don't agree on a lot of stuff. And so oh, yeah. knock on wood, I, I've been yeah, really lucky. I can't say that. It doesn't mean we agree on everything, but I think we're, you're able to kind of discuss it and not take it personally, not be mad at each other. Um, and, um, but I also think that's important as you grow the team too, right? Like your team needs to be able to um, come to you and have an open discussion. Um, my uh, Digital Bricks, my last startup was interesting because most of my team was in India and there's definitely some cultural issues 
um, even though I'm of in Indian ethnic descent, I was born and brought up here. And that right. was so interesting because I would be asking the junior stash and, and I'm like, tell me what you think. And if, um, <laughs> you know, if some of the, the, the other older men, like the CEO, if he was around, they would hesitate. But if they were on the phone with me personally, they were much more open, maybe because I'm, you know, I represent being American, but they'd be very cautious with what they'd say in front of him. And, um, but even with me, I'm like, you, you can share this with me. I'm not going to get mad. <laughs> you know, like, I want to know what you're thinking. <laughs> um, so I think that that's really important, right? Like that collaboration. You're, you're not, you're not going to do this alone, no matter how smart you are, no matter how much yeah. you know. Yeah, that's so, that's so true. So, so you'd say that the, you know, openness to discussion and having a sense of who the other person that you're talking to is and how they where they come from and how they work. Yeah. Uh I mean seems like a pretty important thing which I also agree uh because it's most of the communication problems are just usually a disconnect in expectations or skill set or you know just people sharing. I mean I, I am curious how it was you know, being a female founder, working with a remote group, even though you're part of the culture, part of the ethnic identity, was it harder for you to sort of manage all that? Because, you know, we hear a lot about uh, women founders and women entrepreneurs. And, you know, there's like, I think yeah, you're the 1% of the 1%, right? You're a woman and you're a minority. So you you are you were the six Sigma of the seven Sigma, you know, in terms of like multiple right. companies. And I mean, I don't, I can't name any, I don't know anyone that I can off the top of my head that has much experience with startups as you have given your background and everything. So, so is there I, things, yeah. Is there things that, how, how did that all work? And, and are there things that you've learned from that, that oh, you apply yes. on a daily basis? Yes. So, I will. So some people who will, you know, ask me about, especially because there are so many overseas teams in India and, 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 and my prior team, we had a team in, in, in Dhaka and Bangladesh. And I, 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 this is my personal feeling. You can take it the way you want. If you don't have somebody from the team who's from there, don't bother. Like you, you oh, yeah, really? it's just so hard to understand the culture and know that. And like, for instance, like I speak Hindi fluently or fairly fluently, even though I'm born and brought up here. So even though many of our conversations were in English, I could joke around with them. I could tell them what the latest Bollywood movie was. And I could say, are you going to go see it? Right. Cause I'm going to cool. go see it. And oh, wow. I knew all, you know, like I know all the like actors I follow. I listen to all the songs. I could joke around with them in Hindi. And that just makes such a difference. Right. And, <laughs> Um, so I, I thought that was easy, but Alec, um, you know, like he's, he's originally from Bangladesh. And I just remember in the beginning, when I first was working with the team, I would get so mad because I'd be like, Hey, I told one of the engineers to do this. And then we'd have a team meeting. And then I'd be like, have you done it? He's like, madam, I'm two weeks ago. <laughs> and I'm like, and you didn't bother to tell me. And Alec was like, because it's just not customary for them to like email. Like they're not good about communication. They got your message. They did it. It's your job to ask them like 24 hours, 48 hours later, is it done? Oh, like close the loop and yes. follow up. Yes. And I, the American, I'm like, you're supposed to tell me when you're done. <laughs> it's a little bit of a cultural. Yeah. And I grew up here and I went to school here and I've worked here and I didn't really know that. So there were things like that, that I had to get used to. Um, I, I will say though, it is really hard with the overseas timing and it is really hard when um, you, if somebody was sitting next to you, it would just be so much faster. Literally, sometimes there are small things like, you know, you're, you're an engineer like that are in the code or something, you know, some oh, miscommunication yeah. in like what in, in like my business requirements and what I need. And if they were next to me, it's so much easier to explain. But Instead, you you call up. It's my night here. You tell them. They're like, okay. So then you go to bed. They work on it. Then you see it the next day, the next night, and you're like, this is not what I wanted. <laughs> you know, four days go by before you get this nah, clarification. That, that has never happened to me. <laughs> never. When, when I had it, when I had a team in India working on stuff. No, they were they were actually they were really good, but it but it was that, you know, it's like twelve and a half hours. Yeah. Like that half hour just 
just is a killer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like you're completely on the other side of the world. And, you know, my experience was a little bit different. I mean, I, I had people on the team locally that were, that were, that were Indian were actually from the same town. And, yeah. you know, maybe I got lucky and, you know, they could communicate because, you know, I had the project leads uh, for the, for the thing and I was the overall lead, but yeah, I just felt, and it's totally true. You know, there's nothing like sitting next to someone and yeah, the communications about, you know, I don't know, 10, 20,000 X better. But right. Interesting to know about the, have someone on your team that's uh, the same or from the same place or speaks the same language or has yeah. the same customs or whatever. It was easier, but I have to say it, it's still, nothing is like, I, I had before that at World Savings Bank, you know, I, I was part of their internet group and my whole team was on the same floor. All the engineers, the QA, the design group, usability, everybody, right? And there is something to be said about being nearby. And right now at Dezan, all of our, most of us are all here in not only just here, but in San Francisco. So like, it's not even that, that's just, it's heaven, you know, like, so in, in the sense that I don't even have to commute down to the South Bay and it does take a lot of stress out. It does make life easier. Um, you're on the time zone, same time zone. You're like, a, a you know, a lift right away if you need to meet in person. I'm um, glad you said lift and not the U yes, word. Yes. <laughs> I did you know. that intentionally. Um, <laughs> I, I deleted mine. I'm one of the people who deleted Uber. Oh, yeah. really? Yes. I, you know what? Just fun fact. I, when I, when I do all these like communications and PR things, um, I use them as the test case of how to not handle a PR disaster. Yes. And I mean, it was like 300,000 people that deleted yeah. Uber yeah. in a single weekend. Yep. It's so. insane. It is insane. And what they did is insane. <laughs> so, well, there's that too. Yeah. 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 So, so I think, um, you know, I, I always feel like if you can, you know, if you can bring, if you can be closer to your team, that's always my first preference. It's not always um, viable and available. I think you, you and I are both part of, part of Founders Network. And I think there was a conversation recently on the forum about nearshoring, right? So it's kind of yeah. like this, this yeah, in between yeah. outsourcing and like, sometimes you can't, you can't afford like hiring engineers here in, in the Bay area is really, is really difficult. Um, it's very expensive and they're all sought after. So, you know, hiring engineers somewhere else in the U S so at least you're in the same, you know, continent and, or sometimes at least even the same time zone. And I, I was following that thread and I thought it was fascinating. Um, and I thought it's, it's, it's good. And I, it seems like a lot of other founders are feeling that way too, that having, if you can have a team closer, um, the better. Oh yeah. I mean, the speed of innovation yeah. is really dictated, at least in my mind, with the number of hours that you are literally physically in the same room. I mean, yeah. it's so hard to innovate and build something when you have to communicate across geographic regions over the phone or internet or whatever. It's it's, it's doable, right. but it's always going to take longer. Right. I mean, just hands down, it's going to take longer. Once it gets going, I mean, what when I was when I had the team in India, it was with a massive semiconductor company. We would once we kind of got the flow, right? Then this whole like we're working on this twenty four seven, then actually worked. started to make sense. But yeah. I mean, if we had to invent something, uh, it was just painful because it, inventions in your head, right? And now I got to communicate it. Right. And, and even though they all spoke English, it's going to get lost in translation. Right. And so right. I can't draw it on the board. And even when you could draw it on the board through some, you know, electronic means, you know, they can't like, we can't feel each other's like vibe and energy. And it sounds a little kind of woo woo, but you can tell when, oh, this is not really hitting. Hmm. Maybe yes. I need yeah. to think of something else, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's crystal clear in your mind, right? Oh yeah, clear <laughs> as mud. For sure. <laughs> you not, not know what I'm. I'm <laughs> how can you know not know what I'm thinking in my? Come on, read my mind, right? <laughs> right. right. This is never going to happen. <laughs> so you know what you're doing now, which I think is a really great idea, and it's really good timing because 
I think, as you mentioned, or I'll mention it for you, fashion's probably the number two polluter in the world. Yes. Um, especially fast fashion, especially we have, we're in the throwaway kind of culture, or at least we're starting to not be, but we've been doing it for so long that it's going to take some generations to to figure it out. And right. so when you when you apply like all these all this experience all the things you've learned and you're trying to solve this for lack of a better word fashion's impact on the world or its negative impact on the world and both the negative impact you want to mitigate as well as hey I want to make a positive impact by having great things that people are going to love to wear which you know I don't know much about fashion but I think that's sort of the way it works or trends or whatever, whatever. I don't really know. So of these things that, you know, you've learned in the past and all of your experience, like how, how do you approach this problem? Cause it's a big problem. Everyone knows it. What is it? What is it that you're sort of, how are you trying to approach it based on your experience? Yeah. Well, so I think, you know, fast fashion is an interesting concept that a lot of people have just gotten so used to, right? Like you go buy something and if you wear it three or four times or five or six times, it's, it's okay. And then you go buy something else. And, um, and, and so, because you know, you're not going to wear it for long, you're not that concerned with the quality of it, right? So you get you ability to buy all this cheap stuff and then you just toss it into the landfill and there's, there's, a, there's, you know, people out there who are approaching it like we need to go back to slow fashion. We need to go back to when things were, you know, made a higher quality, higher durability. Um, and, and, and that's, that's definitely one way to approach it. I think at Dezan, what we, we kind of did a little different model in the sense that it, people aren't going to turn off their addiction to fast fashion immediately. And so... And, and people still want to stay trendy um, and they want things that look good. So, sometimes some sustainable fashion is a, a little boring, a little colorless. So it may be great quality, but definitely not, you know. The you, mean, you mean the coffee sack dress <laughs> yeah, is coffee. not like cool looking? I mean, I guess maybe for a hot second it is, but, yeah. you know, you're going to wear that out to the club or cocktail party or whatever. Exactly. Right? So we're like, okay, you know, like there's a certain segment of the people of the of people who are just so dedicated to this, they will wear the coffee sack. Right. But how to make a difference, you have to be able to, I think, convince the majority of people out there that do want to look nice, who do want to keep up with the trends. And, um, but, um, and, and, so they are going to go out there and they are going to buy whatever is the, the latest in vogue fashion. And, and that's why we, we really focused on being a circular company. And what circular really means is that um, you're looking at everything from start to finish. So typically fashion is what they say linear it means once the designer or manufacturer makes it, they sell it to you. Um, they don't really care what you do with it, right? They don't care how you dispose of it, if you dispose of it, whether you turn it into a wash rat, whatever it is that you want to do. Um, but circular means that you need to care about how, what's the end of life of that, that piece of jewelry or that, you know, outfit. And, um, and so when we came up with this idea, it really was looking at how could we collect all of this back so it does not end up in the landfill, and we really redesigned the entire process of how, of even the materials that you use, how you make it, such that um, later on this year, we will introduce a program where our customers who've bought our product can and send it back to us for a material credit. And we have designed it in such a way that we can reuse it or at, at, at the very minimum recycle it. Um, because we don't want it to end up in landfill. At the same time, we are watching all the trends. We are watching all the colors, you know, the Pantone colors. We know what's going on. Um, we have like mapped everything out for the rest of the year, for instance. We know what colors are coming up, what we need to have to be in vogue. Um, and we're really, you're, we're, I think, doing a great job balancing that fine line of being fashionable, but at the same time being ethical and taking into consideration that we are part of this planet and we need to, we need to really look into, um, you know, what is the impact of that fashion and, and it should be really minimal to none. Wow. Well, that's a 
pretty powerful statement. I think uh, can't do any better than that. <laughs> uh, and it's wow, doable. Really, That's the yeah, thing. it it's sounds doable. Like you just you know, it's yeah. it's 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 great. Um, I mean, it's amazing what we've been able to do and how quickly we've been able to do it. Um, and as a result of being circular and the technology that we use we have really solved a lot of the problems of fashion. Um, one of the issues is um, like inventory buildup, right? So if you guess the wrong color or the wrong cut and it doesn't, it doesn't, um, it doesn't sell, then some of that stuff is just sometimes burned or just dumped into to landfill. And we have been able to use our, our entire process. It's just so tight and um you know almost just in time that you know if we guess wrong on a design or a color no big deal because i don't have to build up inventory you know right, i don't need right, to have right. like it's almost yeah built on demand that's yeah yeah so I, I, we're in that. control so there's those are the levers right like inventory uh, miscalculation of in of sales is is a big contributor to um to the, the, the landfill problem as is that, you know, the consumer consumption. And so I think we've really tried to attack both of those and say, okay, how do we solve for both of them while still having a good looking product? Yeah. Wow. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time, Angie, to tell us a little bit about how you do your day to day and learn a little bit about ethical, non-fast fashion that's recyclable and i'll put a bunch of links into all your stuff because i actually did buy some jewelry for my fiance and and my soon-to-be stepdaughter so they really enjoyed it awesome. and it's a really great uh great thing you guys are trying to do and um yeah it's just been great talking to you good luck to everything and uh yeah thank we'll, you uh, thank we'll you see each other soon me. yes it was wonderful yeah, thanks welcome. for having me Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting thedailymba.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, the Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest that you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about in this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time... Keep getting better. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.